Welcome to the Brent Boone Podcast. As we sit down and explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brent Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brent sits down with a former teammate and longtime San Diego Padres broadcaster, Mark Grant. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. Today on the program, I'm joined by a former teammate and a longtime San Diego Padres broadcaster, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Mudcat Grant. Granter, thanks for coming on the program. Booney, it is a pleasure to join you. My goodness. You know what? The amazing thing, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this over the course of your uh, award-winning podcast. Uh, if it's not already, it's going to win awards someday, my friend. Um, you know, we, we could not touch base for five, six, eight, ten, twelve years. And we get together, and it's like we haven't skipped a beat. And it's awesome. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to chat, man. Uh, tell some stories. Have some yucks. Uh, because we <laughs> in, the short time, in the short time I spent with you, man, uh, we had some good ones. Yeah, it's been long and, and we've known each other a long time. We're actually uh, for the, for those listening in the Boone podcast, uh, Mark and myself, Mark was a, a grizzled veteran when we met. I was a uh, it was 1992. Uh, Mark had gotten to the big leagues in 1984. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the program. But in 1992, he was summoned to Calgary, Canada, which is the AAA affiliate Um for the Mariners, it was and it was Mr. Boone's first year in AAA, and I, I was wet <laughs> behind the ears. And Grant was probably pissed as he's in AAA, had been in the big leagues for several years prior to that. But that was my first uh, my my first go around with Mark Grant, and it was a lot of fun then, as, as you'll get it to sure know. And, and for those of you Padre fans out there, you listen to him nightly. Uh, you know that that Mark likes to have a good time, but uh, it just so happens that we're at Padres fantasy camp and, and I was, I was talking to Mark Grant, how about, how about my first fantasy camp? I'm coming in as a Padre. I played there one year, <laughs> 2000 fourth place finish, Brett Boone, Padre, Padre fantasy camper. But you know what though, Booney, you had such great at bats in that short time that you were here. It's like, why, why can't we not get Brett Boone to be here in fantasy camp? Every everybody remembers the second sacker, the uh, the guy that was always putting together great at bats. But no, I'm glad you're part of it. And, and like I said, um, that's the great thing about baseball. Uh, and, you know, any vocation that you work at, you know, you become friends with people, and those those friendships last a long time. You have some good times. And hey, you know, what? I, I got I got a chance to play with you, which was great. And then, of course, uh, in the booth, talk about you when you were a Padre for that short time. So it was great. You started in 96. You broke into the uh, on this side of the microphone doing Padre yeah. games. And I got to talk about it. He was a good friend. I think he played with or against my grandpa, but he was always uh, kind of the highlight of, of when I'd come to San Diego, the great Jerry Coleman. Uh, you worked mm-hmm. with him for years. And I remember every time I'd come to San Diego, there was this old guy that would come up and, and go out of his way uh, yeah. to, to say hi to me and, and 
tell me stories about the old days and how awesome my grandpa was. And, and, and as, you know, as time went on and, and I got a little time under my belt, it was the great Jerry Coleman and, you know, drop a star on that, whatever is, whatever his go-to phrase right. was. But uh, I remember Jerry uh, going out of his way, always making it a point to come down and, and mostly to tell grandpa Ray stories, which, you know, now he, he passed in 2004. It's always, it's always cool uh, going back over the, over those memories. How was that for you as, as a young broadcaster going in the booth with, with Jerry? Booney, you know what? Jerry Coleman could be probably one of the most humble, gracious gentlemen, classy individuals that I probably met in broadcasting. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play for the Padres from 87, half of the season through 87 through 90. So got to know Jerry a little bit, but uh, you know what? That That's what made him such a great person class guy because he would make time to go down and talk to some of the players and like your grandpa too. I remember meeting your grandpa Ray back in the minor league days when he was scouting and I would chart in the stands in triple a. Um, but Jerry, yeah, that, that famous phrase, hang you can hang a star on that one was uh, synonymous with Jerry and with Padres baseball and quick story about Jerry was great. It, going in before the games to talk to him, um, some great stories about the Yankees. And then after every loss, which there were a lot of them, there were a lot of lean years for Pottery Baseball, walk out of the booth and Jerry would say, you know, Mark, it's all your fault. <laughs> so he he was pinning the loss on me out of the broadcast booth every time the Potteries lost the game. It was great. <laughs> well, and, and you know what I remember, uh, Mark? I, I remember when I was a little kid, and I don't know if you remember this movie, but you remember everything, so you probably will. The kid from left field. Yeah. And it was uh, the kid from Facts of Life. What was his name? Um, it wasn't uh, the Facts of Life. He was the oh short. What you talking about, Willis kid? Oh, he, uh, Gary Coleman. Gary Coleman. He was the star. It was the right. kid from left field, and it was uh, right. Padres based. And Jerry right. Coleman was the voice on that movie. And after a while, you know, I'm in the big leagues two or three years, and I'm going, that's the guy from the kid from left field. Yeah. <laughs> and it was Jerry um, Coleman. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you're talking about uh, he was manager, right? Gary Coleman. What'd you talk about, Willis? Right. Yeah, he was the, he was the manager. He was the manager. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. I do remember that. Absolutely. Yep. But no, Jerry was great. And you moved on. For, you, you also worked with Dick Enberg. Give me a quick Dick mm -hmm. Enberg story. Well, Dick uh, was the voice of sports of my childhood, for crying out loud. I mean, I was, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, we had the seasons, of course, and with the seasons came sports, playing sports. And you play sports, you learn about them, and you watch them on TV. And, um, you know, gosh, Super Bowls, uh, baseball games, um, tennis, Wimbledon. Um, he, he was just you know, the, the college football games, college, the NCAA basketball tournament. So whenever it was a big event on TV, it was Dick Enberg's voice. And then I got a chance to work with him in San Diego. And it was like, you know, he, 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 here's a kid from Joliet, Illinois, who's in his basement with his dad watching sports. Uh, and I, I, I still remember this Booney, um, seeing this guy in a really bad looking blazer with a really, really thick tie uh, wide tie back in the seventies doing the sideline uh, intros, uh, the pregame of college basketball game. It was Dick Enberg. And then all of a sudden uh, I'm working with Dick Enberg. So 
it, it's the beauty of this game. If you know, if you stay in the game as a broadcaster, you never know who you're going to get a chance to work with. And working with Dick was uh, quite a treat. And now, currently, Don Arcillo, obviously well respected in the industry. Mm-hmm. He's he's your current partner. I want to yeah, get Donnie's, it. Go ahead. Donnie's go ahead. great. Yeah, no, Donnie's great. Um, you know what, uh, Boney? You know, half half the battle is you know working with people that you love to be around and going to work every day. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to to have that situation for a long, long time. And um, you know, you, you might be having a bad day, not a bad day, but when, you know, just one of those days. Everybody has it, and um, you know that you're going to go to the ballpark. And for me, it's kind of like therapeutic. Um, you're going to go watch a baseball game. You're going to talk baseball, and you're going to be with one of your best friends doing it. So I'm very, very fortunate. Donnie's great. But the one I mentioned all those guys, and the one concept though, Mud is is since we played together in in '92 to current the one constant in San Diego, and and we both live there uh, has been you. I mean, since uh, since my days days as a Padre, I went to the Mariners. We'd come to town, uh, and currently, you know, I, I was just yeah. there last year. Come up to the press booth, and and there's yeah. mud, you know. So you've been the constant, and and I think everybody now, when they think of Padres baseball, it is, you know, there's hey, yeah, Mark Grant. We hear him every night on on air, and you've done a hell of a job for a long time. I want to talk about last year's Padres and mm-hmm. and this city and and living in this city. And, you know, I'll get out to a couple Padre games a year, but just watching them start to finish. And, I, and I've been a fan of this, uh, what they've been doing the last year, year and a half. Uh, obviously, Tatis, we'll get to that. But he, he came on the scene as a young player, young superstar type talent, once in a once in a generation type talent. Obviously, he's mm-hmm. he's you know, he had his problems last year, but it was a great run. And you get into the playoffs, you squeak into the playoffs as a wild card. Uh, You end up beating the almighty Dodgers, won 110 games last year. But I remember you get through the Dodgers in the next series, that that rainy night at Petco. And I was actually over here in Arizona with my daughter. And I was we were at a sports bar and I was watching it on TV. And I'm thinking that's as electric as I've seen that city of San Diego light up for a sports team in a long time. And you were yeah. there uh, Give me the atmosphere and, and just going through that, that second set of, you didn't get out. You didn't get to the, to the final destination, but mm-hmm. this city was on fire and it had to be a fun run because like, like I said, you barely made it into the playoffs. Brett, there was so much frustration in Padre baseball, which you were a part of. Uh, you, you witnessed it firsthand for the short time you were in San Diego. Um, there were teams that could hit, but no pitch. There were teams that could pitch, but no hit. I uh, just couldn't find that right chemistry, that right um, combination for a, a winner. So it was it was a combination of the frustration of the fans from 1969 to the new coming fans in the mid 80s to the 90s, whatever. And it's like if you took a you know those two liter bottles of Coke or something, you shake it up, right? And it's like all that tension inside, all those years, and all of a sudden the place just erupted when during the course of that game. Big hits, guys got on base, and you know th- this Dodger team, like you said, I mean they were <laughs> they were dominant during the season. But you know as well as anybody, Brett, you get in a short series and you get some key situations where you get some key hits, and all of a sudden, boy, I tell you what, they unscrewed that two liter bottle and it just exploded at Petco Park. And I I was in attendance, I was screaming like a kid on the playground. 
I was with Trevor Hoffman and Mark Loretta and Jake PV with our families in one of the boxes there, one of the suites. And we were, we were like, we were like little kids that we just won a big little league game in the tournament. Um, so it was all those years of frustration that finally people had a chance to get excited about and yell about and, and experience together. And it was a sight to see. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, Brett, that, oh, you beat the Dodgers. Uh, well, you know, that's the World Series. No, no. You know what? For me, it's the competitive nature. I mean, you got to you, you win the next series, then you go to the World Series, right? Okay, we beat the Dodgers. That's great. But that shouldn't be the pinnacle of your season, as, as you well know. But um, I could see where Padre fans were like, yes, we beat the Dodgers. A lot was going on last season. The Tati situation and the teammates for the Padres, they, they you know what? I, I forgot. They said, you know what? Okay. Let's forget about Fernando. What it what what happened happened. There's nothing we can do about it. Let's win this thing. And I, that was the mentality of this club through and through all year. You see this offseason, they they open up the pocketbooks, and that's a, 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 a nice change, I guess. As as living in San Diego now, uh, they went out and they got a Bogarts, just signed Soto to a one year deal. I think he'll be a free agent next year. But in my opinion. I look up and down this lineup, and there's some great lineups around baseball. Uh, I've got this at the top. I mean, if you if you got a healthy Bogart, Soto, Machado, and uh, assuming Fernando Tatis comes back and is yeah. what we saw, you know, I think he's got 20 games more of a suspension to serve. Mm-hmm. But that's that's about as good a lineup is there. Uh, as there is out there, you know, you see the Dodgers, who, who's kind of become a rival. It's been that San Francisco Giants Dodger rival. Now it's Dodger Padre uh, rival for the first time in a long time uh, in the offseason. The Dodgers kind of stood pat and in yeah. both of the, you know, both of the Turners, Trey Turner, uh, you know, MVP. MVP uh, candidate last year. He moved on to free agency. Uh, and and the big the big guy at third base who's, who's kind of been the face of that franchise for the last five or six years, at least what makes that team tick. He's gone. Uh, Bellinger moved on to the Cubs. So they're a little bit different. Still a great team. But I'm looking for your, your outlook for the 2023 Padres. I know you got to play the games, Mooney, and you know, on paper it looks great, but the Padres for me are the team to beat in the West now. Like you said, the Dodgers, they've had some guys who not moved on. Uh, they don't seem threat that they are but once again i hate saying that um it's all great off-season fodder and uh you know bar talk and whatever when you're with buddies and stuff because you got to play the games but uh for what the Padres did last year and in the playoffs and the additions that they've made yes uh they i think are the team to beat in the the nl west now you mentioned the one through four possibility (laughs) for the, the Padres lineup could you i mean that's a pretty potent one through four uh, the only way it could be any more potent is if you eliminate one of those guys. You bet Brett Boone in that lineup, maybe two or three, maybe even four. But <laughs> but no, it's I tell you what they're they're gonna they're gonna strike some fear into the opposing pitchers, and we know how important it is in this game of baseball, this any sport, to score early, right? So when you've got those potential one through four hitters in the Padres lineup, there's a pretty good chance uh, to get on the board early, and that's a good thing. Well, I think you look at that team. I mean, 
there's not another team that could say they have four and, and not just no. not just kind of surface MVP guys. Those are four legit right. MVP candidates back to back. Obviously, we don't get Tatis back till 20 games in. I want your right. thoughts on Tatis. I've got my thoughts. I I, I have my druthers. Like if, if I was a big brother, what 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 I'd whisper in his ear. But I don't think Fernando cares what what I have to say. I, I want your take on it. How do you think the Padres handled it? And what do you expect from Fernando coming back? Well, I think the Padres handled it well. I think Fernando handled it well. I think he did his due diligence as far as apologizing and facing the music. I remember that press conference he had in the dugout with A.J. Preller, and he looked rattled. I mean, uh, he did. You know, he's young. He made some mistakes. He admitted to that. Um, and, and I think he could be a generational-type player. Um, you know, maybe – and, you know, and once again, he's going to get hounded when they go on the road. I mean, it's inevitable. We look through the history of baseball and guys who've been in that position, you know, they go on the road. Is he going to be able to handle that? I think so. Uh, I think it, it gotten to the point now to where, you know, he took his medicine last year, his, his teammates, and let's face it, if healthy and he's in the lineup, he can help this team. So his teammates are going to welcome him back. I think it's just the nature of the beast. We're a very forgiving society and his teammates, I think, as well. So, But I think he's, he's got the chance to be a generational player. He's very athletic. We know him as a shortstop. I think um, being in the outfield, uh, which looks like is going to be the deal, he's going to uh, play a tremendous outfield. I think he'll be able to learn on the fly. Uh, but I'll tell you what, um, he's got a chance to really, really be – one of those special players for a long time. And I know you just said that, you know, if you had a chance to whisper in his ear, I think, I think if I had a chance to do that, I would say, Hey, Fernando, let your natural talent take over. Don't worry about all the BS because you got a chance to work to, with, with the rest of the guys that, you, you know, with your talent, you can carry this team. And with the, the surrounding players, you've got a chance to be a perennial playoff team and win some championships. So, you know, in your short time as a career and you know, we all know as players, it's a short career. Even if you play 15 years, it goes by quickly. You know, make make the most of it. You know, make the most of your time on the field and be the best player you can be to uh, to help your team win. Yeah, and and I, you know, you hear the fans, and there's some oh, Tatis, he screwed up this and that. You know, as a player that played for a long time and now an ex-player, looking at it from a fan's perspective, but knowing what I know, I think you know, I was 21 one time. And mm-hmm. and I knew and I knew everything, Mark. You knew me then, right? Sure. Boone knew yeah. everything. <laughs> so I have some grace when it comes to young players. And he came on the scene. I mean, he was a rock star. He was kind of becoming the face of baseball. He had the look. Yeah. He had the swagger. Uh, he definitely had the talent to back it up. And when you have that much put on you, and, and by the way, he he wanted it put on him. He he had, mm-hmm. he 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 really looked for that attention. But he proved also he could handle it. You're 21. You're you're Superman. You're bulletproof. He's he's you know he goes home to the Dominican and he jumps on the back of a motorcycle. The last thing on his mind is thinking, oh, I'm going to get hurt. I you know I'm not supposed to ride right. a motorcycle. Per yeah, you know, we're, we're 21. Invincible. Right, yeah. we're invincible. All of a sudden that happens. Oh, a little something to heal a little bit quicker. It kind of it, it kind of snowballs on you. Next thing you know, he gets popped. I, I I'd love to see this be a moment for him, a kind of a wake up call. Like, no, this is the real deal. And, and the Padres are paying you 300 million and, and you're the next, you're the next guy, you know, make it right with your teammates, come back there. That's what's the most important. You know, we both played the game a long time is those 25 guys in that clubhouse now 26 in today's current, current format. Mm -hmm. But as long as those guys you're, you're on a, 
you're, you're on the same wavelength as them and they brought you back in, in good graces, yeah. uh, then let your talent take over. And, and you, I think you hit it on the head. We are a very forgiving society, but part of that forgiveness comes with playing your butt off and playing like sure. a superstar. And if he comes back and do, does that, I think what he went through this time in his career will be a footnote yeah. one day. So I, I'm really I looking forward to, to watching him play. Yeah, Booney, he busted his ass. I mean, he went all out. And that was kind of like the negative mark. Not negative, but you know what I'm trying to say. You like, you know, they, they, you know, he went balls out all the time. And, you know, you talk, oh, he'll learn to where, you know, scale it back a little bit. But that's just the way he is as a 20, 21-year-old. Um, yeah, he'll learn through time to whatever, you know, to, to, to save his body. But there, but right now, that's not the way that's not the way he's wired. So I think that he's going to come back. And I, I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, I, I watch this team every day. I want this team to, to do well. Uh, I hope he comes back with a vengeance and just, you know, goes off. Um, you know, he said when he signed that deal, that multi-year deal, he said, ultimately, when it's all said and done, he wants to have a statue out there like Tony Gwynn and like Jerry Coleman and like Trevor Hoffman. And, you know, to me, that tells me that he's got some drive and he does want to be a difference maker. Um, and he has the potential to do that. Now, I ask you this question, because, Booney, you brought it up. What would you whisper to him uh, if you had a chance to talk to him? I would just say, you know, this is a this is a, this is a, a aha moment. We got you. I mean, you mm-hmm. did you yep. did everything you could wrong. You jumped on the motorcycle. You took something you shouldn't have took. You you, you claimed ringworm. Your 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 teammates were rolling their eyes at you. It's a time to go home, reflect, get ready for this season. But come into that clubhouse, have a sit down with your teammates. It doesn't have you. You can address the public. But make sure you're right with your teammates. As long as you're right with your teammates, that's all that matters. Because from seven to ten every night, those are the guys that got your back, and you have their back. And yeah. then, and then play like hell. Keep your mouth shut. Play like yeah. hell. Still be you, but play like hell. And and I think with the with the skill set, I watch this guy because I don't just hand out uh, compliments like this. I'm pretty hard on, especially young players. You've got to show sure. for a long time. I've watched this guy for a short period, year and a half, and in and in and out of injuries. But I see kind of an Alex Rodriguez type talent. And Alex mm. Rodriguez for me is a top top ten of all time talent. Yeah. And I just think if he if he does that, writes the ship, grows up a little bit, and just plays like hell and let his let his ability on the field, let his numbers on on the field take care of himself. Like I said, five, ten years from now, this is gonna be a, a bump in the road, a a, a little yeah. blip a blip. But right. you come back and you start making excuses why it was this and why it was that. Your teammates don't want to hear it. The fans don't yeah. want to hear it. They just want to see you go out and field. But the, the interesting thing for me, Mud, and, and this is I want to know what your thought. The fact that they just said, yeah, oh, and he's going to play left field. I laugh mm-hmm. at that. He's still one of the greatest players in this game right now. If not, yeah. he, he's a top five for me in all of the game. And that's including Mike Trout. To just tell a young shortstop with that skill set, oh, yeah, by the way, you're going to go play left field. I want to see the competitive juices in him. I want to see how that takes when he gets into spring training. I'm sure he's going to be kind of walking on eggshells at the beginning. Okay, I'll go play left field. But once he gets back into the groove of things and once he starts being Tatis Jr. and his numbers are reflecting that, if he's going to be okay with with kind of going to left field. Because when you're a shortstop, you come to the big leagues as a shortstop, left field is like a slap in the face. 
You know, when you're a middle infielder and they put you somewhere else, that's almost like, wait a minute, middle infield's where it's at. Yeah, maybe you move to center field. But those skill positions in the middle, especially shortstop, which I think by far is the most uh, demanding position on the field, to go in left field, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to sit with him. And yeah, I think at first uh, he's going to come back and, and he's going to have a little bit of his tail between his legs and he's going to reprove. He, he wants to prove to these fans that he, he's this great player that we all envision him being. At first, I think he's going to kind of be on eggshells, you know, minding his P's and Q's, doing what he's supposed to do. Yes, sir. No, sir. But that type of talent, especially shortstop, uh, mm-hmm. middle infield, to just say, OK, you're going to go play left field. I'm interested to see how that sits with him because when you're a shortstop and you get put in left field, that's a slap in the face. I, re- you know, when I was playing second base, <laughs> you put me in left field. I'm kind of like, wait a minute. You know, I used to kid with with one of my favorites of all time, Mike Cameron. Uh, right. I used to oh, laugh at him. Mike. You know, you know he was a great Mike. center fielder, and I'd say, Cameron, yeah. you know, you know what you are, right? I said, you're an infielder that ain't good enough to play the infield. So you go to the out. That's how we think, especially in the middle. That's how we think. I mean, it's a big demotion. So I'm interested. You know, they just say willy nilly. Oh, yeah. He's going to go play left. I want to see how uh, Tatis Jr. thinks of that. Like I said, at first, I think it's going to be okay. whatever you need for the team. But after he starts producing like I think he's going to produce, it's going to be interesting where he's if he's just okay playing left field. Yeah, and you mentioned something earlier about getting right with his teammates. He did that last year, and they had the meetings. They had the closed-door meetings, and uh, he talked about it, and he heard from his teammates. That's a given. That's that's water under the bridge. So I think that's a good thing, uh, the clean start this season. Now, going to the alpha, I think he's going to take it and run with it. I, I, I think he's the type of personality to where um, he is mature enough to know that he has such a talent wherever they put him or want to try to put him to play. He wants to help the team win. He's so, and, and let's face it, you know, if you're a shortstop, you're usually the best athlete on the team, right? I mean, you're talking little league, high school, uh, whatever, amateur ball. Usually your, your shortstop is your best athlete means your best pitcher and, uh, you know, athlete on the team. So, um, I, I think it's going to be a challenge for him, but I think he's one to take a challenge and, uh, he's going to want to, especially what happened last year, he's going to want to take it and say, you know what, I'm going to play so well in the outfield and I'm going to go off and I'm going to make people forget about what happened last year. And I think that's the challenge and he's going to, that's the way he's going to take it and look at it. That's just me. All right, 2023. We got pitch counts, Mud. You as a pitcher, oh, yeah. I want your take. We got bigger bases. We were laughing about that at dinner tonight. <laughs> yeah. and, and for the first time, I think in AAA, they're going to they're gonna preview it, but they're going to have uh, robots uh, for nice. umpires in the minor leagues. Uh, your take on pitch counts, how's that going to affect uh, a veteran-type pitcher that's kind of set in his ways? Should there be a grandfather clause, uh, or should they just roll with it? Do you think it's going to be better for the so, game? And these bigger bases, I mean, right. seems a little silly, but they're here. Yeah, so you're, you're talking about the pitch clock, right, in between pitches? Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I said okay. pitch counts. I meant pitch clock, that's a, correct. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, you know what? I'm a big fan of that because you know what? Got to go. Gotta go. I want a two-hour, forty-minute game, two-hour, thirty-minute game. Keep it going. Guys are going to have to make adjustments. You bet. Hitters are going to have to make adjustments as well. And you know, if the pitcher's not uh, doing his part, it's a ball. Uh, if the hitter's not doing his part, it's a strike. Uh, I believe it's fifteen seconds with nobody on base and twenty seconds with runners on base, right? Mm-hmm. And also, here's another good one, Booney. You'll, you'll appreciate this. 
Um, how do you like the disengagement rule? Only three disengagements from the pitcher. Only you know two pickoffs. I I think that's I, you know what I think that is mud. I think it's I think it's people <laughs> making new rules that have never played the game at a high level. Okay, now here. Okay, let's 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 think about this. I know you're you're a good baseball mind. Here's what that that's everybody's thinking. Oh, it's it's going to be so advantage to the to the runner. Well, think of it this way: guy guy picks off twice this first base and he doesn't go right. So now he's got two things that happen. One of two things: if he goes back over there and he's safe, he gets second base. But here's what's going to happen. Our guy's going to take bigger leads depending on the count, the hitter, the inning, the situation, the score of the game. And are there going to be more pitch outs this season coming up, knowing that possibly you're going to smell, okay, he's gone over there twice. Uh, the count dictates that, hey, you know what, we could probably, uh, you know, t- take a chance at a pitch out right here because he might be going. So from that standpoint, quite honestly, I kind of like it. I really do. I think you're definitely going to see – the pitch, the the pitch out be brought back into the game. And that's kind of been missing the last few years, mm-hmm. but I don't, I think it's going to be definitely an advantage to the true base stealers right. to, the, to the base stealers like me, that would steal my 10 or 12 a year. Uh, it's not going to be a difference because if you pay attention <laughs> to me at first base, I'm not going anywhere. That, that wasn't my, <laughs> that's right. not where my bread right. was buttered, but, right. but the true base stealers, uh, it's definitely to be an advantage for them because now, they can take whatever lead they want and you still can't pick them off. And all they're going right. to have is a bigger lead and the pitcher right. saying, I can't throw over there because it's going to be an automatic bag. So for the yeah. real base stealers, I think it's definitely going to be an advantage. But yep. for the, the the everyday, just occasional guy that, that swipes a bag, I don't think it's going to be a difference. Yeah. And what, uh, what what's the deal? Uh, I'm trying to get a grip on the bigger bases. Um, it's it's Pee Wee Herman. 15, <laughs> like 15 inches to 18 inches, right? I don't know. Is I think it? they're I think they're expanding on all four sides. The only thing I think about is I'm going to get to first in a in a in a tick quicker than I used to. So I, I think yeah. offensively. I think it's an advantage. I think when you lead off first base, you're that much closer to second base. So I think yeah. offensively, it's ever so slight, but I think over 162 games, you might get a bang bang base hit. You might get a bang bang safe yeah, second out. So yeah, I think overall plus for the offense. Yeah, because look how many close plays there actually are over the course of a season, right? To where it is bang bang, where it's a matter of inches. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What do you think about the no shifting now? I was never a fan of shifts. Uh, I think I see. Think, I was. I was. I, well, here's what I think. I think in in our time in in the '80s, the '90s, the early 2000s, uh, I think we brought we were brought up differently as hitters. Uh, we didn't hit. We didn't work on angles and launch. You know, launch angles especially. I think today's hitter, the average hitter that goes through the minor leagues, get to the big leagues, is very predictable where they hit the ball because they uh-huh. almost they almost train like golfers. You try to shift on someone like a Tony Gwynn, a Rod Carew, and now I'm dating myself, but you know I didn't right. play with Rod Carew. He was before my time. A George right. Brett, they're going to laugh at you. You try to shift on a Larry Walker, but he brought he was brought up in a different era. So I think the shifts are relevant in today's game. I don't think you should be able to tell someone how they can defense. So I, I don't agree with banning the shift, 
right. I, I'm not a proponent of the shift, but I don't think you should be able to tell a manager he can't do it that way. I was talking to Mark Loretta today and, you know, a, a fellow middle infielder. And we were thinking about it. I said, I don't like the fact that now all of a sudden I can't even go on the grass. So what are they going to do mm. if if my back spike is on the grass? What is, is the umpire going to throw a flag? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know yards. what it's going to do. Right. I think you're going to see them. <laughs> Because you we have are, to sit out that play, right? <laughs> I think pitch. we're in, we're in such a data based time in baseball. I think you're going to see these clubs still pushing the rules to the brink. If you yeah. know what I'm saying, I think of you're going to have that second baseman. Okay, he can't be on the other side of second base, but I'll tell you what, he's going to be right on that line and that shortstop. The same thing. So I still think you're going to see pretty extreme shifts, just not as much as they've been the last say four or five years. Yeah. Do you think that the umpires are going to be like, uh, I mean, you're going to see more and more early on uh, being sticklers about said shifting and stuff uh, just so they, they, they put a stop to it before it does get to the point to where they get too lenient. Without a doubt. I think always at yeah. first, you know, the cameras are going to be on them. It, there's going to be making, sure. they're probably going to tell you in the booth, Hey, mud, Make sure you, you, you talk about this and, and how it, the interaction's going between the umpires and the players. So it's going to be talked right. about. The camera's going to be on them. Of course, they're going to be minding their P's and Q's and they're yeah. going to make sure they get it right. But as the season goes on, just like anything, you know, just like yeah. when they had that, that, that spider tack, you know, when they first put that in play, oh, every time he was going over to that pitcher and they were doing a thorough test to make sure, sure you don't have, as the season went on, it was kind of, you got anything? All right, go. You know, yeah, but right. I, I think right. like anything, it's going to, yeah, real serious at first, and then after a while, it's just going to kind of be a, a little bit more laxed. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of things that are changing. You mentioned robo-ups in the minor leagues, and i tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of that. Um, I think a strike is a strike. Uh, I think that's the way it should be. Uh, I've never been a believer or a proponent of – the people who say, oh, well, you know, he's pitched in the big leagues for 12 years. He's got two side youngs. Oh, he, he deserves that pitch off the plate. Oh, really? No. You know, Steph Curry throws up a three, and he hits the back of the iron. And, okay, well, you know, it was close enough, so let's just give Steph the three. Okay? Let's, let's just do that. No. A strike is a strike. That's the way. That's my feeling on that. What do you think? No, I, w- without a doubt, I'm with you for, for the most part there. I look at this whole technology thing. I think the problem we have is, and, and I fall into this trap as, as a fan watching the game on TV, we've got that little white box. Okay, that's not mm-hmm. even the true strike zone. Right. But right. I even find myself with the super slow-mo and the, and the advanced technology that we have, oh, that ticked the corner of that white box. It must be a strike. You stink, umpire. No, <laughs> I, I just had, I had Tim Cheat on, veteran umpire, 25 years. Sure. And he said, Booney, you know what? The umpires today are the best they've ever been because we, we, he said, we have a strike zone behind the scenes that we train on. And I can tell you right now, I could go do a game tomorrow and I could, I could call balls and strikes in the 97th percentile or something like that. Don't uh, Timmy, if you're out there listening, don't, don't don't quote me on it, but it was something to that. I get your, uh, I get your fact, point. He said the umpires today are as good as they've ever been. And I started thinking about it with all the scrutiny. You know, you look at some games back in the 90s and the early 2000s, some of those playoff games, the playoff games with Eric Gregg uh, oh, and that Marlins. God. 
I mean, Levon look at, Hernandez. You know how wide our strike zone was, and but there was no technology. There was no white box, and that white box right. is a farce. It's on sure. TV, but that's not the one they train on. So that's just for entertainment value. That's so right. every everybody at home can be a. a you know, an armchair quarterback, I even get caught up in it. And then I think, wait a minute. Okay. That's, that's not the real strike zone. That's for entertainment yeah. value. That little white box drives me crazy. Uh, as a pitcher, when you pitched, uh, what do you see different from the, from the years you pitched to today's strike zone? I think back in the day, I think you were given more East and West, meaning off the plate. And it was, you know, it's like, it's like a lefty. I was a right-handed pitcher, so there were times where you know you get a certain umpire behind the plate, like a veteran, like a Paul Rungi or uh, gosh Jerry Crawford or uh, Bob Davidson. And if you could pinpoint that fastball off the plate, maybe five six inches, where the hitter, you know, chances are they're going to take it. They're going to give it to you. That's what I discovered. Now the pitches that were up back then, no, you you didn't get the belt high strike. You didn't get the high thigh. Right, the high, uh, the high quad, you know, top of the leg. Um, if, if you got anything, it was off the plate. Uh, but in, in off the plate to the righty, no. Down and away to the lefty, you know, same spot as it were. If there was a righty there, you'd get that strike. So that's the difference that I've seen. I, I've seen more even high breaking balls, Booney. How about some of the breaking balls that are up in the zone? Guy, I'm like, oh, that's a ball, and then all of a sudden. You know, it's a called strike. Uh, that's what I've seen change. And I think that's that's something. Yeah, it's, you know, because, right, as hitters, I'll give up on a breaking ball. I don't care where it lands, but where mm-hmm. it crosses, where it crosses me in the box. And I right. know that high breaking ball. Yeah, it might look look good on TV the where the where the catcher catches it, but it, but it's not a strike. And, and it'd be frustrating for me because that's why they're they're able to elevate. I think, you know, in the last 10 years, I think velocity's up a bit. And all of a sudden, yep. if you can pitch at the top of that strike zone and they're calling it a strike in my day, that's a ball. So I don't mm-hmm. have to, you know, I like the high ball anyway, but most people don't like hitting that high heater. They like, mm-hmm. they like for you to have to bring it down. So I think it's a little bit of a challenge when you can go north and south uh, as a pitcher. I think it's a little bit of an advantage if you can control your north-south with today's strike zone. Yeah. Um, like I said, it all boils down to uh, fastball location. I mean, we were talking about that tonight over dinner. Um, I, I think the best pitch in baseball is a well-located fastball, and you don't have to throw that hard. You look over the uh, the history of this great game of the pitchers that, you know, and, and then you have an added added plus if you got a guy who throws hard with movement. But if you could locate a fastball where you want it at 92, 93, believe me, you're going to have some success. So um, to me, that's uh, those are the guys I love to watch who have got a great idea of uh, placing that fastball with success. Today's game, there's a lot of emphasis put on controlling the strike zone. And you see that at, at the low levels of the minor leagues. They really work on controlling the strike zone and not, and not going outside the strike zone. That's that's really taught. Whereas in, in when I was coming up, it was sea ball, hit ball. Um, yeah. some, of the, some of the guys that you pitched against, who are some of the guys that had the greatest eyes that you knew if, if you didn't put it on the corner, if you were off the corner, just missed, they weren't chasing. Brett Butler, that guy comes to mind. What a pest he was. Oh, my gosh. I'd get ahead 0-2. Then I'd try to nitpick away just off the plate ball. And then I'd throw that pitch again. 
uh, or throw a change up down off the plate just a little. And it would be close enough and it looked like a strike, but he would just swat at it and foul it off. Uh, he wouldn't chase. He would very rarely chase bad pitches out of the zone. Um, that's the first guy that really comes to mind to me. So kind of like the guys who had bat control that could hit the ball all over the field. I, I only faced Tony Gwynn three times in my career. Uh, that was as a brave and he hit a triple. He was one for three, hit a triple. But, you know, that Tony went to me, probably the best uh, bat-to-ball hitter in the history of the game. Um, obviously didn't strike out a lot. Just putting the ball in play, man. I mean, those guys are pests. Um, but they're fun to watch, and it was it was great to have Tony Gwynn on your team. I'll tell you that. Tony, I got to play with him one year. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I can't really disagree. Seeing them every you. day, right? it, ridiculous, you know. And I, I, I got yeah. to play with some great players <laughs> and some great hitters, you know, Hall of Fame hitters, and and you know, I watched Barry Bonds. I, I kind of keep, you know, I kind of keep him in a different category of everybody else. Uh, but sure. it, it, you're right, though. On a pure hitter, life's on the line. I don't care who's pitching. Randy Johnson, left on left. It doesn't matter to me if I need a hit with my life on the line. One at yeah. bat uh, with all the guys I played with and against. I- I'm probably going to throw Tony up there. He, he was that good. Great- he was that good. Yeah, I got a- I got a great story. Tony was pretty humble when it came to interviews, and you know he was kind of like an aw shucks type guy, right? Um, and but but he worked his tail off, and he knew he was good. But you know he was humble. Uh, so I remember announcing some games. Uh, I forgot what year it was, but I went down. You know, I'd go down to the clubhouse, talk to the guys, see what you, you know. Talk about the night before, talk about today's starting pitch or whatever. So I would go over to Tony and get a little nugget every day to, to just, you know, talk about something on the telecast. So I went over and said, hey, Tony, uh, so-and-so is pitching tonight. And I go, what do you got on him? And he'd kind of stop, he'd pause, he'd kind of look around so nobody was near him. And he'd say, Mud, this guy's good hitting tonight. <laughs> you might want to break out the L screen. Oh my gosh. It was just so funny the way he'd have that look on his face too, to where it's like, I just can't wait to step in the batter's box against this guy. Cause I'm, I'm going to get at least two or three knocks tonight. And, you know, you know, from the, you know, um, that's if the starter went deep into the game. So, but yeah, this guy tonight, he's good hitting. Yeah. <laughs> he's great. You know, and I love Tony, but I've always had, I always felt that I could never really, uh, you know, and Johnny Olerud, one of my favorite teammates of all time. Oh, yeah. I just couldn't relate to left-handed hitters because I said, you guys have no idea what it's like. You're facing right-handers, breaking balls coming into you all the time. You don't have to deal with what we have to deal with on a daily basis. So I couldn't talk, but I'd always yeah. ask Tony and I'd watch him hit. Booney, just get that foot down, take the knob yep. of the bat to the baseball. Take the That's knob right. of the bat. And, and when you think about it, it's pretty simple. It's pretty oh, it's simple. that easy, Tony? Really? Yeah, it's yeah, really but, that easy? But I'll tell you Thanks. what. He, he was great. I got to play with him for one year, but I, I, I have nothing but fond memories of Tony uh, And you know Tony another Gwen. thing? Yeah, a lot of people don't realize this, but Tony, um, he, you asked him when he, when he was working with us during the day, I remember posing him the question. I said, Tony, what are you most proud of is your career? And you know what he said? He goes, his gold gloves. Because when he came up, he was really not the best outfielder. He really didn't have the best arm. He worked his tail off to hone his skills and his craft in the outfield. He knew he could hit. I mean, that was, I mean, eight batting titles. Come on. He knew he could hit. What type of player was Tony Gwynn? He knew what he could excel at, but he wanted to do better in what he couldn't. And he 
worked his tail off to become the best right fielder that he could be. And what do you know? He won gold gloves and he said that was probably better more than his batting titles. He was more proud of his gold gloves. That tells you something about a guy. Yeah, he was, he was something. Uh, Joliet Catholic high. That's where he went to high school. 1981 first round pick. I think you were the 10th overall Uh, got through the minor leagues pretty quick. Made your debut with the Giants in 84. You went six and three. Uh, Giants in 86. So you went back to the minor leagues. Went to Giants, Padres, Padres, Braves. And now we get to 92. Mariners, Triple A, Calgary, Canada. I got and by the way, I, you know, for you, for, for you out there listening to the Boone podcast, I'm referring to him as mud quite a bit. And, and I didn't mean to to say that without reference. Please explain to everybody. I believe Danny Ozark's involved. Where did you get yeah. the nickname uh, da- mud? Well, Danny Ozark was a, uh, a great baseball man. And uh, for the baseball fans out there listening, Danny. Uh, gosh, he was with the Brooklyn Dodgers back in his playing days, I believe. He coached with the Dodgers in L.A. for a little bit. He was a manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. I think your dad played for him, mate. Yes, he did. I remember Danny yeah. Ozark well. Yeah, so that's right. What a great man he was. Gosh, I loved OZ. And when I was with the Giants my rookie season, uh, Big League Camp 1984, my first Big League Camp, we were doing PFPs. And, you know, covering first base, and the coaches would be around the infield just checking things out, and I'd come to first base, and he was over there and kind of rooting guys on and, you know, shouting words of encouragement. And he said, hey, way to go, Mudcat. And I was like, oh, wow. You know what I mean? Being, I, I, I was a student of the game when I was growing up. I loved the game of baseball. My dad, you know, bought me Baseball Digest when I was in grade school, and, you know, I would read those things from cover to cover and learn the game. And Jim Mudcat Grant – was a pitcher back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s who had a darn good career. And because of my name, last name being Grant, he just started calling me Mudcat because of Jim Mudcat Grant. And it just, you know, he'd always call me that in the clubhouse. Guys heard it. They started calling me that. It stuck. So uh, the beauty of that is I did meet Jim, and Jim passed away. It was either last year or the year before. A very sweet, humble Good man. Uh, we met in 84. We kept in touch. I would call him like maybe once or twice a year just to check in with him. And uh, unfortunately, he passed away, as I mentioned. But, uh, yeah, that's how that came about. And, um, you know, some people shorten it to mud. There's some people that still call me Mudcat. So, uh, it's you know what, it's, it's, a, it's a nickname. The, the original, you know, nobody will ever be like the original Jim Mudcat Grant because he was such a – a great human being and a really, really good pitcher, but uh, kind of an honor to have, have a nickname like that after a, a great pitcher like Jim Grant himself. All right, Calgary, Canada, back on back oh, on top. Calgary, let's, Canada. Let's go uh, north of the border, Booney. North let's go. Let's go through border. customs. Show your passport. Oh, and it cracked me up. We were, we were catching up today, and I just thought a young Brett Boone, 1992. I was the greatest of all time. If if you weren't sure, just ask me. I'll tell you. Oh my gosh! As as green as you as green as you could be, but man, my my hair was on fire, and I just I just Dude. wanted to hit. <laughs> Booney, you were. That's the thing I loved about you is you knew you were good. Yes, you were cocky. You were confident. But you know what you. you you got you 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 did have and you still have good people skills and 
you could relate to people. You great storyteller, uh, tremendous talent. I remember <laughs> well, there, there are many boon moments, but we we're talking about breaking in gloves. Guys had new gloves or something, and you know, we're on the infield or something or doing something. I forgot what it was. And you overheard the conversation. You said, to him, "Hey guys, you know how Boone breaks in his glove? You took the glove <laughs> and you threw it down on the ground, and you like stepped on it with your spikes. That's how Boone breaks in his glove <laughs> because your glove like bent at like like the thumb." Yeah, right? no, no, it was as flat as it could be because so, yeah. if you misplay it, you know, you see these infielders, especially young infielders, they want to have these pretty gloves, you know, perfectly shaped. Look at that thing. And I look at it and go, that's it's garbage. I said, that's just a <laughs> mistake trap right there. I said, you got all these bent edges. You know, you're yeah. not going to be perfect out there. And when you miss right. a ball, your ball, because it's so your glove, because it's so pretty and it's all folded <laughs> up nice. It hits the corner. It kicks off. That's an error. My ball, yeah. my glove's so flat. I misplay it. It just rolls right into the web. <laughs> and that, right. and that's, that's how I came up with my glove. I, I'll tell you this. And it's a funny try. I've told it before, but uh, when Ichiro came over, in 2001 was his rookie year with me in, in mm-hmm. Seattle. He's really meticulous. I mean, he's one of those guys that after every game, he's in his locker. He's got polish and he's polishing his glove and washing it and scrubbing oh, it. Wow. And, and like you just explained, I'm kind of the opposite. You know, I'm kind of right. big, big pen. And I'd come in after. I, <laughs> you I, were I, big pen. Yeah. That's I'd, a great analogy. I'd come in after innings and I'd kind of just chuck my glove to the corner of the dugout where it was going to be my hat when I went back out on defense. Uh-huh. And I remember Ichiro would look at me and, you know, he spoke a lot better English than people. And still now he speaks really good English, but he'd say, Boone, I'd say, yeah, yeah. Ichiro, what do you need? And he'd say, uh, you do not respect your equipment. And I'd look at him and I'd say, you know what, Ichiro, my, my gloves are just as gold as yours. And I'd move on. And that was just the tale of two stories. I said, I break mine in one way. You have this pretty glove that you have to work on after everybody's gone home and the, and the parking lots are empty and they work. That's great. So now that that, that was true. Here's another Boone story that I love. Uh, You were playing and Ichiro was on your team and I was announcing and you are around the batting cage. So I go down to the field and I, cause I want to talk to you. And I greet you, you say hi, and you know what? You say, you know what, Mud? I want Brett on the back of my uniform. He's got Ichiro. <laughs> I want Brett. <laughs> you remember that? I do remember that. And, and it's, you know, it's so funny. And, you know, I don't leave, I, I don't mean to leave the audience out that we have so many inside jokes and, and Mark oh, no. has, Mark has so many inside jokes with so many, you just kind of have to be there and, and, and you'll realize what we're talking. I mean, for instance, you come up to me and you said it to me earlier. You said, Booney, we could not see each other for 10 years and and I could just do that little foot movement that you do. And right. I'll know exactly I, what we're talking about. Yeah, that's fish, of course. <laughs> what does fish mean? Well, you got to hang around. If you, if you hang around at dinner with us for a while, we'll explain it to yeah. you. <laughs> Another one you said, you said. And, you and said the third about, person's the best. The third yeah, person. I love it. It, That's when, wasn't that when Michael Jordan was uh, all the time, like speaking the third person. So you started speaking the third person. He right. said like, Boone's going to get two hits tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and said, here's another one you said hey if you don't see me 
I've fun gishing. <laughs> yeah, you, right. You'd, you'd reverse words. That's right. not right. It can't be gone fishing. I've fun gishing. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I haven't seen. Well, we saw each other last year, but we were getting right. on the plane today and Mark was in. Uh, we got on a Southwest flight and he got there. He had the A pass and I had a B pass. <laughs> so I'm going by and, and he's in the first row and he looks at me. And what does he say? What'd you say to me? You go, oh, is it Boone? <laughs> I said, of course it's Boone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so funny. That's what I love about getting together for these fantasy camps and stuff. It's like uh, time stands still until, you know, you see your friend or former teammate. Um, you know, like I said, two years, eight years, 12 years. So, um, oh, gosh, just I'm, I'm really looking forward to all the chuckles and uh, stories we're going to have this week. It's great. 93, Houston and Colorado. Uh, 94, yeah. you take, 94, you take a break. And uh, you try this side of the microphone. I had surgery microphone. on my elbow. I had, right? a, uh, I had a bone spur taken out. So that was one of those where uh, sat out, rehabbed. And I got into radio then. Right. That's what I was, yeah. that's what I was moving you towards. Yeah. Uh, KFMB, uh, one of the... In fact, KFMB was the flagship station of the Padres on radio for the uh, Padre people who are listening. So <clears throat> a friend of mine who worked at the station, he was station manager, knew that I had uh, had surgery and was, you know, it, it's something the media, radio, TV is something I wanted to possibly pursue after my career. So he called me and I got a gig uh, doing sports at 15 to 45 of the hour and like a two-hour magazine show on, on the radio. So it gave me some experience behind the mic. And then I did a talk show uh, with Hank Bauer, of all people, the former Charger. Right. Um, special teams uh, guru. And uh, that kind of, and then 95 uh, signed with the Cubs in spring training. And, that, you know, what, Booney, that, remember, that was, uh, that was the strike year. Right. And, and you know what's amazing? When, when – it's like when, when teams wanted replacement players, and, and, one, and once again, I'm not here to judge anybody because I, you know, I have not walked a mile and said person's moccasins to judge anybody. But it's amazing how many teams want you. I've had like 12 teams call, hey, we need replacement pitchers. You know, are you willing? And no, uh, you know, I've established myself in this game for seven years in the big leagues, and uh, I don't choose to uh, cross the line. So whatever. So I went to camp with the Cubs in 95 with the intention of making the AAA club and uh, pitched in Des Moines a little bit that year. You know what's amazing about that strike year was, uh, you know, I was a young. What year was that for you? You were. Well, 94. Uh, that was about my third you were like year. like year two or three year, right? Yeah, that was my third year. And 94, okay. you know, I was on the Reds and, and we were wire to wire in first place and, and Bud Seeley came to the mic and canceled the world series. So it was, it was kind of a, you know, it was a interesting off season to say the least for oh, all of, right. yeah. for all of yeah. us. And I was a player rep for, for the Reds. And I remember when they're getting into replacement baseball and, and you know, I leaned on my dad a lot during those times. Cause he was the rep for a lot of years, uh, sure. he was the Nas national league rep actually for years in the mm -hmm. union. And it was a learning process for me being, being a part of that. It, and he told me that he, he said, Brett, I think you should be a part of this. Uh, I'm not saying you have to get as involved as I did, but I, I would really get into those meetings and educate myself, see what goes on behind the behind closed doors. So I listened to him and, and I really it was eye opening uh, 
seeing what goes on between the players and the owners when we actually do sit down and then negotiations. And we had a great negotiator in Donald Fear. Uh, Donald always says, you know, his weak point was, you know, when he got in front of the mic, <laughs> he wasn't very right, inviting. Right. But I'll tell you right. what, he behind the scenes, he was brilliant. And oh, my uh, gosh. Yep. I, re- I remember uh, that year I was getting a lot of phone calls from, you know, friends and, and uh, just just players asking my opinion of, of, you know, what should I do? They're asking me to play. And I remember I got to a point, I didn't know what to say at first. You know, obviously my gut reaction is hell no, you don't do that. You don't cross the line, but I really started to think about it rationally. And I thought to myself, I started asking them questions. I said, well, where are you in your career? Do you ever see yourself being a big league player going forward? And if the answer was no, I said, go ahead and cross. Take the money right. and go play. We're going to be the real guys are going to be back sooner than later. But if you mm-hmm. think you have a future in this game and one day you're going to be a big leaguer, I said, I would I would definitely say no. And and uh, I went with that forward to every phone call I got. I think that's good advice. I think it really is. It, it, uh, you know, it, it'll really make a, a player sit back and think about his own um, talents. And then once again, we've seen guys who don't have, you know, whatever they make it to the big leagues. It's, I mean, a lot of it's luck, a lot of it's timing, whatever, but I think that's good advice that you gave. Absolutely. Give me the 96 story. I don't even know what this team is. The uni president yeah. lions. I want, I want to hear a little, little snippet of that. Yeah. Well, 95, as I mentioned, I was with the Cubs in Des Moines. I'm throwing the ball really well. I'm in the starting rotation there. And uh, that season starts later because of the strike. So my manager, Ron Clark, I don't know whether you know Clarkie or not. Um, he said, hey, if uh, the Cubs need a starter, you're the first one to go. Because I had some experience and I was pitching well. So I, uh, long story short, I get hurt Okay, later in the season because their pitchers were doing well that year. Get hurt, have surgery. Uh, a surgery in August of that year. So now, okay, I'm a free agent, minor league free agent. Can't get a job in the States after surgery because I'm rehabbing. So 96 comes along. And a friend of mine in San Diego, um, I tell him that I can't find a job here in the States. He goes, well, have you ever thought about going abroad, going to like Taiwan? And I said, well, I, I need to get out and pitch. And I need to prove that I'm healthy again. So he said, okay, let me make some phone calls. So next thing I know, I'm signing a deal with a team over in Taiwan, the President Lions. Oh, my gosh. So I hop on a, I don't know what it was, 14-hour flight from LAX to Taipei, and I meet the team. And I just, I was trying to rehab and start at the same time. That's just not a good combination. I couldn't throw a ball through... Gosh, I was there for six weeks. I'll tell you what, one thing, I was in the best shape of my life. I'll tell you what, I if, if they had us working out and running, I did – if we did 20 lines, I would do 21 from foul pole to foul pole. If we did 50 sit-ups, I did 51. Um, if we did 20 sprints, I did 21 uh, because I wanted to try to get in shape. <clears throat> Arm never rebounded. Arm was killing me, and I said to the – liaison there with the team. I said, you know what? I'm not doing the team any good. I'm not doing myself any good. So I think it'd be in the best interest to let me interest of the team to let me go. Uh, so I came home after that. And then that's when the broadcasting started. But I tell you what, it was a great, great experience. Um, not knowing any of the language, meeting new players from, uh, from Taiwan, 
And um, it, it was a good experience because experiencing the culture, experiencing the game over there and um, came back home. And then that's when I started my broadcasting career. And it's been a long one. 96 was your first year. Um, yeah, that what, was, what, I was pretty lucky. What, what surprised you the most when you got into that side of the microphone? Going, all right, I'm going to do games. I, I listened to you all. I've been listening to you for years. It, it seems to, you know, people take it for granted to, to say, well, you know, yeah. and, and they're first to they're first to be a critic of the guy on TV. Sure. And I think about it now doing this show. I think uh-huh. about it now and go, you know how hard it is to sit there yeah. day in and day out, come up with something new, not because because you hear yourself say it before and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that again. And you kind of get right. sick of yourself after a while. What what has learned? What have you learned the most about yourself? Uh, yeah. When you when you were young, you know, rookie rookie uh, on the mic versus all these years later. You know what, Brett? I've learned so much uh, thanks to the partners and the guys I've had in the business that were working before me to help me along the way. Bob Chandler was many years behind the mic for the Padres, radio guy, TV guy. I, he was my first partner in 1996 on Prime when the Padres televised like 40 games. So I did like 20, uh, about 15 games that year. And um, the, the one thing that I try to avoid, and this was since day one, I really dislike the term, oh, back when I played. Right. I, I try to avoid I, I in fact I, I I think I've done pretty well at, at not saying that. Uh, one thing I've also learned as well is that I will be the first to admit if a question is posed to me and I don't know the answer. So I think as broadcasters, the three words that we should learn to say without being afraid to say them is I don't know. There's nothing wrong with that. If, if somebody asks you a question and you say, you know what, I don't know, but I'll look into it and I'll do some homework and I'll try to find an answer for you. I think that's, that's one thing uh, as well that I've learned. Um, <clears throat> on the TV side, I have learned that sometimes it's better to let the pictures speak for themselves. I mean, Brett Boone hits a three-run home run to win the, win the game in walk-off fashion. And we show you rounding the bases, and we show the crowd, and we show your teammates meeting you at home. But what am I going to say for the love of Pete that's going to make that moment any better? <laughs> Less is so, more. Right, exactly. So I keep my trap shut and, you know, <clears throat> let it breathe for a little bit. And then maybe when we go to the replay, I'll say, whatever. Uh, watch the boon swing the shillelagh here. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, you talk about the swing, you talk about the situation, whatever. But, uh, you know, those are some things uh, that I've learned along the way. And then, you know, I, the one thing also, Brett, that I try to avoid because, you know, I do 150 games a year is being repetitious. Um, try to mix it up. Say things differently. Um, <clears throat> I challenge myself to try to do just that because I don't want to be repetitious. I want to, um, I want to mix things up and, and keep things fresh. As, uh, you, as, as, as you and I always used to say. So, you know, those are, those are you know, a few of the things that uh, along the way that, and, and I'm always learning because, you know, when you think you've got it licked, uh, that's when it will come back and bite you. 
And you're right. Keeping it fresh. It's tough because you have go to fra- you have go to phrases that that definitely right. explain the moment. But it's like, wow, I've explained the moment five times that way this week. Sure. And, and you're yeah. thinking to yourself, you almost get a little insecure, like the same guys are listening. They're going to wear me out. Oh, what's Mud going to say? The same thing that he said yeah. yesterday and the day before. So I feel you on that. It is something where yeah. you got to keep it fresh. And, and it's not like there's anywhere to hide. It's like when we were yeah. playing this game, when I'm in a slump, I'm in the lineup tomorrow and guess what? The next day and the next day and the next day, there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. It's like, mud. you got yeah. this game today. You got four more with them starting tomorrow. So uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> right, it's right. definitely a, a spot where no, it's tough. It's not as easy as, as it's, as it seems. Yeah. You know what I've done, Brett is um, I've come up with this. I've got this sheet in my briefcase that I carry with me. And what I did was I wrote down all the phrases kind of like that announcers use over the course of a game, whether it's like um, approach, um, you know, just words over the – I can't think of it right now off the top of my head. But I came up with like 10 or 12 words that are like universal phrases used by announcers, right, to describe said – Whatever, and I went. So I, I, you know what I did? I wrote down those names, uh, those 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 uh, words. I, I got a thesaurus out and I started writing down similar, you know, words that mean this. My point is, during the course of a game, rather than using that one word, I'll look on my sheet and I said, and then I'll incorporate another word just to mix it up. And it, you know, it, it's good for me. I think it's good for the viewer. So it's it's it, it's it's more than just getting behind the mic and talking about the game, which should come natural, but I want to expand my vocabulary. I want to mix it up a little bit just to give the listener or the viewer a little something different, you know, to chew on or, or listen to over the course of a ball game. Do you find yourself when you have downtime, uh, let's say you have a game off and, and you're listening to another broadcaster or uh-huh. it's the off season. You're listening to a basketball game, a football game. Do you tend to get into watching and listening how they're how they're bringing it to to you, the audience, or do you oh, kind of, sure. or, or is that a time where you just go, no, I'm just here to watch the game and I don't pay attention. I, I no. do that for 162 games. I don't pay attention. No, I uh, I love to listen to other announcers and, and see what they have to say. It's like, you know, I I pitch, so you know, I try to describe pitching as best I can. Um, I don't know much about hitting, but I've learned over the years talking to guys like you and Tony Gwynn and what to look for in hitters. Uh, but the, the beauty of the game is that when you listen to somebody else on another telecast, another team, it might be the same type of thing, but they describe it a different way. So, you know, I don't want to plagiarize or anything like that, but sometimes describing it a different way might come across better to a viewer if they hear it that, that certain way. So, I'm always tuning, like when I'm watching the game, to hear what the analyst has to say, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, you know, and particularly baseball, to just give their um, – to get their insight uh, of how they would describe uh, a play that I see every night when I'm doing a game. And I, and, and I think about that all the time, too. I think about – 
even when I'm explaining to a fan, I try to explain, mm-hmm. but I think to myself, how, how can I best get my point across? Well, I'm going to talk through the hitter's lens because that's what I did. Uh-huh. It gives me instant credibility. I'm a hitter. Right. Of course, he knows what he's talking about. And now I'll talk about pitching through the hitter's eyes versus trying to trying to act like I was up on the mound throwing pitches in the big leagues where I have no clue. I have no clue about arm angles and keeping that left side over your right. I don't know any of that. So whenever I'm in doubt, I just think what I see from my angle when I'm in the box keys that I look to as a pitcher that makes me make an adjustment as a hitter. If that makes sense. Yeah, Boone just saw the ball and hit the ball. <laughs> no, it was, you know, I, I'd love to be able to say I did that, but there was so much more to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know, I know. Um, and you know, Brett, I, I there's there's a few times during the season when I'm on the air and we're, you know, it might be a low in the action or whatever. And I just, I am amazed at what you guys did. Um, uh, you know, for a hitter to play, gosh, five years, six years in the big leagues. And then you look at the guys like you who played, you know, 14 or 15 years in the big leagues. And it's like, not only that, but how about the guys that hit 300 every year for 12, 13 years? It amazes me. I mean, it's just one of those things where I just can't, I can't wrap my head around it where, you're sitting in the batter's box and you don't know what's coming. And you got a guy who's throwing 98 with movement and, but yet you still hit 300 every year. Um, I try to relay that to the fans watching that saying, you know what, this is a tough game, man. That's one thing I don't, you know, you know, I hate to use the word criticize critique, but you know, that's, you know, that's kind of like what we do. Because I know that's the first thing, man, that this game is so hard. And I hope that comes across to the fan that I don't want to, I don't want to be that analyst analyst that sit behind the mic saying, Oh, you know, you know, what is this clown doing? Yeah. Right. right. You know, how, how can you, how can you not make that play or whatever? Well, you know what? It's a tough game. And I, I hope that comes across. I think it definitely does. And, and you always have a light side to it. And, and yeah, you've got, you know, to, right? right. Because, think. because the season is so long. And like you said, you've been through a lot of lean years with the Padres. Yeah. The last few have, have started to get exciting. Obviously uh, 98 was a, was a big year. It was exciting, but there's yeah. been a lot of lean years. And that's a, you said you did, a, you're doing 150 games this year. That's a lot of games. Speaking of yeah, the three, 300 thing. Anytime I have uh, someone on, on the show, that was a career 300 hitter. I truly am in awe of that because I hit 300 a few times in my career. And it seemed like, man, I'd look back and reflect that off season. And it seemed like I got 500 hits like, wow, to hit three twenties. Yeah. Unbelievable. Then you look at Tony Gwynn, somebody that was the three thirty career guy. People don't understand how ridiculously hard that is just to be a three Oh one career for, for yeah. a 15 year period. And, and, and it bothers me a little bit in today's game where where I don't know if everybody has, but it seems like the average has been cheapened a little bit. And I and I and I and I talk to those 300 hitters and I think, you know, on base percentage is great. I get that. 
getting on base, scoring runs. That's the name of the game. But in the ninth inning, when that closer's on the mound, and by the way, the closer's usually not a guy that walks a lot of players. Mm-hmm. I don't need a guy with a 380 on base percentage that hits 240. I want that guy hitting 310 that's got a yeah. chance to get a hit off this, this premier closer mm-hmm. that, by the way, is not going to walk you. In my day, if I'm facing Trevor Hoffman, if I'm facing Mariano Rivera, they're not going to walk me. So it doesn't matter what my on-base percentage is. It's time to get right. a hit right now. And usually the best <laughs> right. chance of getting a hit are those guys that have a three in front of their average. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, looking at your career, I mean, sorry about hitting 331 in 2001 with 141 stakes. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but, but I'm amazed. You know, I had some – my career That's was up, up and down, and I had some tough years, and I had some MVP years. But I look at those guys that did it. For, for a 10-year block of those numbers. And, I, and I'm in awe as well. It's ridiculous. It, it really is. And it mm-hmm. really makes you um, appreciate the, what those guys do. Um, Tony Gwynn, man, is the perfect example. What, uh, you know, the 200-hit season. Well, oh, we, Ichiro. We, How about yeah. Ichiro? Yeah. I mean, my gosh, you, you saw it firsthand. But th- think about, we were talking today about Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. You know, right. they were the nemesis of, of 90% of hitters. And you look at Tony Gwynn, you see it on time. I know, I, I know, Mark, you know every. Hey, by the way, Mark Grant, he's an encyclopedia. He could, he could pull up anything. You talk about it, something that happened in the history of baseball. Yep, uh, Joe Coleman was pitching that game. He, started, he was supposed to be starting, but he didn't. So I know you, you, you know your history, but... Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's just amazing to me. It's you know, amazing here's to me. An, here's, yeah, it is. Here, here's an amazing little mug, and I love stuff like this. You, <clears throat> Hank Aaron, big Hank Aaron fan. Um, uh, and let's face it, when you, uh, if you're a baseball fan, you think of Hank Aaron. And, top top uh, three all time. Top three all time. Abs- absolutely. And you know what? Here's the deal. You think of Hank Aaron, you think of home runs, right? No, I don't. I think this guy well, was well, an unbelievable well, player, but everybody does. Yeah. And that bugs everybody. Me. <laughs> yeah, and that bugs me too, and I'll tell you why. You can take away Hank Aaron's 755 home runs, and he would still have over 3,000 hits. He Talk about a model of consistency. Here's a little nugget that will win you some beers at the Fox and Farrakhan in Calgary. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Hank Aaron never hit 50 home runs in a single season. How about that? Just the most consi- he ever hit. He just yeah. consistently hit 40, 44. Yep, exactly. Yep. The most he ever hit in a single season was, I'm looking at it right here, 44. He did it a few times. Uh, 47. He hit 47 in 1971. That was the most home runs that he uh, had in a single season. My point is, you know, none of this 55, 60 home run stuff. It was consistency from day one for uh, – and then you look at the doubles. You look at the um, you look at the batting average. I mean, he was a career 305 hitter. Check it, the stolen bases. Stolen bases. That's under the SB column. Uh, he had 240 stolen bases. I mean, that's – you know, he was the all-around great player. He was a great player. He was unbelievable. Yes, he was. Yeah. On base percentage, 374. Just all around class guy. 
I remember I met Mr. Aaron as a Brave in the clubhouse when I was there. I got traded from the Padres to the Braves in 1990. And uh, you know what? Fortunately for me, it was great. In the old Fulton County, uh, my locker was next to Hank Aaron's locker, which they kept. They kept the nameplate above it, and they had like a screen door in front of it. But that was Hank's locker. Uh, it was like a, uh, a tribute to the hammer. <clears throat> and when I got traded, my locker was right next to that. And I thought it was pretty darn cool. Very cool. Yeah. Mudcat, thanks for coming on the Boom Podcast. Great career. Uh, thanks. And thanks, career brother. after. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure listening to you for all these years. Well, and yes, definitely next year. You know, when you least expect it during one of your simulcasts, <laughs> you will get a text from Boone critiquing your, your play-by-play. Hey, you know what I tell everybody, <laughs> my friends? I say, if they listen, shoot me a text during the game. It might trigger something that – it might trigger a story or, or maybe a little nugget or something. I'll give you a shout out, but uh, man, I tell you what, um, you're one of the best, man. I uh, had a great time as a teammate and um, proud to call you my friend. I'm pr- proud of you too, getting into the business and uh, having some success with your podcast. So uh, continued success to you. And I appreciate you having me on as a guest. All right, Mark Grant. And as we do each and every Boone podcast, At the end of the podcast, we kick it back to the voice of the podcast. And that voice is Dan Levy. Dan? That's going to wrap it up for the Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, and I'm the technical director, producer, and voice of the Boone Podcast. The executive producer is Rich Herrera. The digital content for the Boone Podcast is provided by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends, and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, I'm Dan Levy. Thanks for listening.